Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance from This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good evening, or morning, or afternoon, whichever is relevant for the part of the world you're in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Every week, the Event Horizon features writers, lecturers, artists, filmmakers, and other talented creators of the fabric of this marvelous continuum we call science fiction. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow, founder and station manager for Krypton Radio, and I have a number of people with me today. Uh, one of them is Susan Fox, who is our station's uh, executive producer. Hello. And we have Christine Cherry and Liz Carley of The Corsair's Closet, our Doctor Who um, cosplay podcast. Hello. And radio show. Greetings, minions. And our guest today is science newly minted science fiction writer, <laughs> Robert Slater. Ooh, he's fresh out of the package. <laughs> fresh out of the... You can. St- he still has that that new author smell. <laughs> Robert oh, Soyder smells a lot like desperation. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Soyder loves stories, in particular myth, folk tales, and legend. A former Marine, broadcast technology specialist, and current professional storyteller, as True Thomas the storyteller, he enjoys telling tales by firelight on stages or. Luckily for us, in novels, he believes in the power of stories, in lost causes, and tilting at windmills for fun and profit. He loves traveling, lives in Westlake Village, California, with his charming son, and he is charming, I've met him, and in uh, and, and with an old blind Siamese cat who nearly always needs to be fed. Just ask him. Welcome, Robert Soyder, to the Event Horizon. We're glad you're with us. I am so honored to be here. So, today... Uh, among other things, uh, we're going to be talking about your first book, uh, Brass Jack, Little Lost Princeling. I notice it's Brass Jack, Little Lost Princeling, not Brass Jack, The Little Lost Princeling. So who is Brass so Jack? Who is the Little Lost prince- Princeling? Is he, is he little and is he lost? And what happened to Fred? Tune in next week. No, no stay wait, tuned this show, week. The show isn't over yet. <laughs> yeah, stay, stay tuned this week. We are full of questions. All right, well, first, uh, let me kind of give you the Cliff's Notes version. Uh, Brass, when I sat down and wrote Brass Jack, I kind of hoped that other people would read it, but never really, you know, in my heart of hearts, thought it would ever see the light of day. But I was very fortunate. I ran into some folks uh, at Hunt Publishing who actually treat writers like human beings. I was very surprised. And I sent them my book, and they looked at it and said, how many words are there? And I said, about uh, 276,000. And they looked at me and said, true, you've committed trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a commitment. Really? And so, um, but you see, I grew up back in the days when, you know, when you had these great big fat books like Dune and, you know, uh, look at the... uh, the the latest um god's hammer right you know books that had but now the the limit is kind of a hundred a hundred thousand words is kind of the guideline for a for a novel and so uh to uh, answer your question when i when i wrote it i wanted to find a book that had a lot of different elements in it that i hadn't really seen i love powered armor i love magic I love big epic space battles. Who and, doesn't? Really? And I love squash and buckle with swords and black powder. And I said, "Hey, wouldn't it be great if I could put all in one book?" And, and uh, I've I haven't 
I have not read the book. I've read the first. I've read about uh, the first chapter and a little more, a little bit. And that was called chapter. the preface. <laughs> no, I read the preface as okay. well. I read the preface you as well. That was pretty. <laughs> that was pretty oh, chewy. Come on now. That was pretty chewy stuff. And we'll get we'll get back to that particular but, point. But, but the the, the uh, brass jack is an is a uh, a grumpy old spy who went to a place that nobody ever wants to go to because the, this particular world has an effect that causes problems for people who have psionics and high technology. It messes them up, which, by the way, happens to be the dominant ability of the empire that they happen to be in. And so he was one of the, from one of the worlds that got conquered and decided he was going to spend his days there. And it just so happened that other... Ne'er-do-wells found out about this little secret corner of the universe and said, yeah, yeah, let's uh, hide over here. And so they do. And along the way, uh, there's a young love-struck imperial named Tian who uh, ends up on the world, falls in, one, falls in love with one of the native girls, and this does not go over well. And he decides he's going to start his own rebellion to win his lady love. Ah, and there comes that little thing we like to call conflict. Yes, and unfortunately it goes very badly for him. And the two of them run into each other. And the old spy part of Jack goes, Wait a second, aren't you like a member of the Imperial family? And his little spy alarm goes off. And the young man... And the young man uh, sees Jack as the one person to help him to survive this horrible, brutal world. And the two of them kind of team up. And uh, adventures kind of happen. Hilarity ensues. Intergalactic buddy comedy. Um, Sort of, except bad things happen a lot. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the the, the first... uh, What... What I find noteworthy about uh, Brass Jack, uh, when you first meet him, uh, this guy, uh, this guy is only about half human. If if you go by technical, by a technical measure, right? He is. Uh, he's been sort of gutted like a fish and <laughs> lined with uh, technology that he doesn't. He doesn't actually have the right to own. Right. And it uh, can't be removed, so he's like, he's, right. like, he's walking uh, he, He's walking contraband. Right, exactly. Falling off the back of a spaceship. <laughs> well, and, and one of the problems is, is you know, uh, he is from a very, very high-tech culture that loves everything shiny. And when you first meet him, he's driving a wagon and doing it badly. You know, being pulled by two oxes. Um, the, uh, oxers actually, but the, uh, the thing about Jack is, is, uh, living on the planet gives him grief and things go wonky inside his own body. He has to do percussive maintenance sometime, which is never a good thing when it's in your head. Oh, I can imagine. And, uh, he was built as a spy by a culture that was essentially all artists, and so they said, okay, we're going to make you into somebody who would fit in the Empire. You're seven feet tall. Everybody over there is about five foot, six foot. So we're going to shrink you down. And we're going to put all this technology into you. And then later after he gets done being a spy, so to speak, he ends up on Lembob, which is the planet. I wanted a world that sounded like a hick. Oh, <laughs> and it just doesn't get any hickier than Just might be a galactic redneck. You just might be a sticks. You just might be a galactic redneck. Yes. And um, so uh, the interesting thing is is uh, if Jack were to ever really show what he was capable of, think about the the if you had a quantum computer in your head that could memorize everything, calculate millions of probabilities for you and never slept. You could juggle knives and sip tea at the same time. You could, you know, speak almost any language, you know, and instantly have it translated for you. We're talking, you know, if you look at what we can do with an iPhone today compared to what it was, what a computer could do like pre-World War II, now extrapolate that three or four hundred years forward. Mm. Yeah, and have that computer inside your head. And the other thing is, is you know, nanotechnology, we're already into ne- uh, nanotechnology, so what would they have 400 years from now? And so I a went lot. with... A lot. Well, I had, to come up, I had to come up with something, and so I went with quantum. 
And so they use quantum strings and quantum technology as opposed to nano. That's, you know, because nano, you know, 20 years ago, writers who are doing, you know, cyberpunk, ooh, nanotechnology. Nano's so present. Yeah. yeah now, now when we hear nano, we think mork for mork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Actually, we think I, iPod Nano. I, I, that's Nano, think, Nano. Yeah, I think anybody who's over forty, maybe. But... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm thirty. What? So, um, and Portian uh, has a similar problem in the fact that uh, growing up, he had a, a a psychic gift that was dangerous. That he had a volume knob that went to eleven. Okay, there are two main characters: Jack, uh, Jack uh, Solomon. Mm-hmm. He he's the spy uh, from the Highgate colonies, and then uh, uh, Young Tian, otherwise known as Gwyn. Uh, uh, Gwyn, that's his his real name. Um, Gwyn, uh, when he was being raised, ha- like many of his family, have uh, powerful psionics. His particular problem was is he was so loud he could kill people. And um, he, uh, it was a gift that was predominantly traveled through the female lines. And so it was kind of unusual for it to pop up in him at all. And one of the problems he had was is he could talk to any stars that were sentient. Wow. And so while he was going through his um, puberty and having all sorts of fevers and everything, he convinced one of the local sons that Spanish music was really good. And so it started doing a foxtrot, a rumba, a salsa with its solar flares. Oh, wow. <laughs> what a troublemaker. That's and delightful. the Empire said, yeah, that's got to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody give this kid a mute button. Right, and yeah. so... Um, well, a mute button could be with a dagger in the One of the too. One of the interesting <laughs> things about uh, the, the, the Imperial culture is that um, people who aren't psionic but who are born into the... Um, born into the imperial families are called the gentry. And the gentry um, are often given a huge amount of uh, cyber technology that gives them almost psychic abilities. Uh, And so the combination of having powerful psi lords um, and also the gentry with their cyber technology and all their alien technology that they acquire as they take over other worlds makes the empire pretty formidable. would not have psi abilities themselves. It's just not a given. It's not a given, and it, it doesn't necessarily breed true. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the, the problems. And when the Empire runs into, uh, when the Empire runs into uh, other races that have psychic abilities, they you know, bring, them, bring them into the family, mm-hmm. marry into them, because they want to keep the bloodline going. Yeah, I have a question. Got to breed more powers. <laughs> I have a question. Are... Yeah. Are there aliens involved here, or all these so-called races, uh, basically uh, humans of Earth origin? Oh no, there are definitely aliens. Um, there are probably uh, there are a lot of conquered races. The, the one of the main things the Empire did, has been doing for uh, several hundreds of years is uh, finding alien races, beating them up, taking their cool stuff, and then welcoming welcoming them into the Empire. T- their yeah, pillaged and in a galactic thugs. Right. Luke pillaged um, Mary. Yeah. But uh, it, two races that 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 play a um, a big part is um, one is the Krikar. Um, think giant crystalline, kind of like Christmas trees, mm. that 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 communicate interdimensionally. Um. There's a node called Aldo who is hanging out with humans because uh, he loves data. That's what he eats. And so he's traveling around. He's made friends with a, a another person who's a refugee from the Highgate colonies. Um, another race is called the uh, Tarlis, and they're uh, feline, uh, feline psychics. Mm-hmm. Um, they look like a hybrid uh, cat um, humanoid. And they are masters of stealth, and they had the the uh, bejesus welled out of them, and so they're playing the hidden paw, so to speak, in the background. Uh-huh. And um, 
probably the the scariest creature is the Organi. And the Organi um, don't really belong in our universe. And when they come into the universe, it's a painful thing for them. And they shape change. They're just, think, big pile of goo that can change into almost anything and will keep changing into almost anything until it kills you dead. And so it will do whatever it can. You know, oh, do fangs work? Great. If not, let's try this. Let's try acid. Let's try fire. Let's try drills. Let's try whatever it takes. And it will keep going. And the Organi is fighting with the Empire, and for a very good reason. Yeah, I can see. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of political intrigue I'm seeing here. Which explains the massive preface at the front, which, by the way, if anybody wants to to read the book, it's uh, five bucks on Amazon for the uh, Kindle version. And you can uh, just look up. There are two. uh, There's Jack Brass, and then there is Brass Jack. I am Brass Jack. (laughs) So you can go on Amazon. You can uh, download it. It's five bucks on Kindle. And it's important to note the author's name, Robert Soider. That's S-E-U-T-T-E-R. Yeah. Like the judge, but it's pronounced Soider. Soider. That's the way you'll know you have the correct book. And just out of curiosity, because I don't know about y'all, but I need to read this. Um, what? Is, how much is it on Amazon for a printed copy for bibliophiles like me? Well, um, I don't know if uh, how many of you guys out there are doing writing books of your own. It seems like everybody is these days. Uh, there's kind of a new trend happening in the publishing industry, and that is, is print-on-demand is no longer just the, Hi, I wrote a book. Please buy it. Uh, it seems to be kind of a a going thing. Um, publishers who want cheap books, they have to go to China and have 10,000 of them made and shipped over. The rest of the world is doing print-on-demand. I've heard a little about and that. And print-on-demand is great for a couple of reasons. Number one, a lot of it is done right here in the good old U.S. of A. In fact, in some of the, pub- in some of the bookstores, they're actually doing it in, in the place. You can go there and have your book printed in the bookstore, right the bookstore, which is pretty amazing. Oh, nice. that's really cool. Yeah, and then the other thing is, is uh, print-on-demand allows an author, like for instance, there are typos and everything that I'm catching now in the first book that I am now correcting, and that correction will go into the uh, the print copy that you will get now because I am able to change the books. Nice. You know, I, cool? I've heard a Very little about nice. that too. Um, there's an author uh, down at the Lost Fist, plug, 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 uh, science, uh, Los fiction. Angeles Science Fiction and Fantasy Society, the world's oldest uh, science, science fiction club. They have le- levels of geekdom uh, of, of Cthulhu esque proportions. Yes, and one of their, um, you know, their uh, wise men uh, of epic awesomeness, uh, Dr. Jerry Pornell, yes. was talking. Re- uh, within the last six months, because I was a scribe there for a while, uh, about how he caught a mistake in one of his recently published books, and he went in and fixed it in the Kindle edition. Right. And nobody knew. Mm. And he said, you know, on your device it'll update. I I don't have Kindle. You know, it'll update with the correction automatically, but if you don't update it, you know, you've got that rare digital edition. But let let me ask you guys this. How many times have you seen stacks of books that are just sitting there aging? Unloved, unread, you know, and... and Far you, too often. And, and it makes you sad because yeah. you see these books. That doesn't happen with print-on-demand because generally if somebody wanted the book bad enough, they, they're, they're going to take care of it. Yeah. And the only problem with print-on-demand is it's more expensive. And so, uh, and the authors don't make that much. As an author, I will make more on my Kindle edition than I will on my print-on-demand uh, book version. Well, think about it. There's there's no dead trees involved. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's less... Now, on the other hand, when the zombie apocalypse happens, you'll still be able to <laughs> beat people to death with the trilogy once it's printed. It's this just, is true. The first book is just not thick enough. Um, but well, the, it's a really tiny zombie, though. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, I would go with Zombie hamster. You don't know how satisfying <laughs> that is about being able to fix the typos, because... I'm old enough that I grew up where we had the the books and it was all pre-internet. And then as I got into teen, more like my 30s and 40s, I started seeing such ridiculous typos in books, entire paragraphs duplicated and going, this is ridiculous. And it almost, 
it it, it almost uh, you know spoils the you know the suspension of disbelief that you're in, especially for somebody who's edited newsletters for yeah. seven years for Star Trek Club like I did. Yeah, what, whatever well, happened to copy editors? The problem no is copy that, editors. It's they they copy work editors hard. Work really hard, but the problem is is that we're kind of coming into a new age of, of literature, and. The, the ability for people to, to knock out, print their own books, release it on Kindle or eBooks, or pick the device of your choice, the website of your choice. Circle all that apply. Right, circle, circle all that all apply. It is phenomenal. And so what, what you're seeing is, is tens of thousands of people are now saying, hey, I'm going to be a writer, as opposed to the, I submitted my book to uh, seven, 700 publishers and I got 700 rejection letters. A lot of people are saying, screw that, I'm going to make it happen. Or they find little tiny publishing companies. And that's one of the great things I love about, I'm going to give a plug to Hunt Press. Hunt Press is right now uh, four ladies who are incredibly uh, talented. And my publisher, Angela uh, Angela Hunt, she uh, came into this with the mindset of we are for the writers and for the audience. And so, for instance, my books, aside from the Kindle edition, the electronic version, will never have any DRM on it. You will never have any, you know, if somebody says, I'm going to slap on an eye patch and a wooden leg and I'm going to pirate uh, True's book. True is my nickname, by the way. Uh, I'm going to pirate True's book all around the world. Fine. Go for it. The reason being is we fear anonymity, not being pirated. The worst thing that can be happen is not to be noticed. And what's happening is the amount of, of good fiction that is coming up is phenomenal and there are going to be more and more voices and more and more people out there uh, knocking out novels and one of the things that is going to be harder for us as readers is oh who do i want now who you know and you're going to be able to buy great science fiction for only a dollar yeah and as an aspiring writer myself i i can tell you you know hearing about little houses like this and how easy it's becoming to get a book out there giving me a lot of hope because I'm still working on the novel I want to put out there but when I've got the rewrites done I I've always really kind of been terrified of that next step what do you do where do you go you've got you know query letters hitting the publishing houses getting those rejection letters and yeah and that's the old that's the old world yeah science fiction writers in particular have always kind of been ahead of the curve and because we live in a realm where we're looking 20, 30, 50 years down the road, 1,000 years down the road, our whole society is about to go through some pretty serious changes. And one of those big changes is it, you can see it happening now in, in, the, uh, in the music business where uh, somebody does a, a tune on stage, it's recorded, and it's on the Internet in two seconds flat. Yeah. And the artist can't make money off of that. Um, you can write a book put it out there, and it can be copied. It, you can have all the DRM you want, and anybody with two brain cells can rub, that can rub them together can get past that, because, and for a very simple reason. Human beings are analog. My brain doesn't care about your watermark. Yeah. And if you think in that line, you can get past it. And so the thing is, is what's going to happen is we're going to have so much material out there, so much music, so much art, so much everything... The only thing that really makes sense is the, the two commodities people are going to be looking for. One is, is going to be immediacy, how quickly. Uh, the next quality is going to be how good. And then the third quality is, uh, will be how safe. Is it going to have any viruses in it? Do I have to worry about, you know, piracy? If it's not software, then chances are no, it won't. Right. Well, no, I mean, if you downloaded a torrent file. Yeah, you have no idea. Right, exactly. And so so I think where we're probably headed is a, probably a, a worldwide um, microcharge where everything is going to be printed with a little tiny signature that tracks back to a cloud bank and that everybody in the world, the, the way people will make money will be they would rather pay that one-fifteenth of a cent for something and not have any viruses and get a quality product right then versus paying, you know, uh, you know, five bucks and pulling it off of a pirate website someplace. And, you know, I think that piracy is actually kind of finding its place in 
the media now because uh, I can speak for myself and, you know, dozens of other people I've talked to, heard from, read blog postings about. You get some... You, you get Joe Smith's new song online. You pirate it. You, you download it for free. You manage to get no viruses or whatever. You hear this song. This song's incredible. You immediately go out and buy every other thing that Joe Smith has ever done. It's actually generating revenue by getting that first look. I mean, me, me personally. And that ties it back to Hunt Press and, and, yeah. and, and the writers now. Science fiction writers want to get their stuff out there and want to get it seen. Yeah. And that's that's a big part of why we started the Event Horizon show in the first place. Speaking as a science fiction writer, I think the two roles that we're looking at in the future, um, one is going to be what I call a daemon. Uh, for those of you who study folklore and mythology, uh, a daemon is a, a spirit of intellect, not a demon per se. And um, the ancient Greeks uh, often believed that inspiration was a spirit that flew from person to person. And that if that spirit wasn't with you, that was okay. The spirit had just moved on, and hopefully it would come back. But in this case, I think a daemon is going to be a computer program, your computer avatar, that is essentially 24-7 online looking for things that you're interested in. And that's going to be a completely developing, uh, semi-aware program that's going to be continuously looking for stuff that you and I and everybody else is looking for, saying, hey, I found this for you. Hey, I found this for you. And then the other part is going to be scouts. And scouts are going to be um, people who have excellent taste. And they're going to be out there looking for stuff that they think is cool, thinking that their followers are going to be interested in. And you will sign up to that scout. That scout will, you'll sign up to that scout's feed, and that that scout will be kicking you books and novels and and podcasts and everything. And this is, you pretty much... uh put your finger right on exactly what Krypton Radio is supposed to do. <laughs> segway! Yes, yeah, segue. Yeah, yeah. marketing right segue. And on that That's... note, we cut to... Did you guys plan this ahead? <laughs> no, and, and I'm going to be the uh, voice of dissent. Um, the Damon concept where the computer decides what you're you know, what you're going to like. You know, when Facebook does that, I hate it. I think it's creepy and it's really, really wrong a lot of the but times. Here's the thing. Why, are, why is I Facebook... Oh, I think it's horrible. Well, I think maybe... I've been okay. getting a consistent no. uh, line of adverts in Arabic. I don't know what they're for. And I don't know why Facebook thinks I would be interested in them. <laughs> but... Oh, because, you know, Susan Fox is obviously an Arabic name. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't referring to your computer will decide what you like your computer will go here's the stuff you like and based on this well first of all it's already happening everything that you watch on a computer is being tagged by the cookies and it's being poorly right this is just the very beginning you remember minority report when the guy was walking along and all the ads changed as he was walking along yeah they scan your eyeballs exactly now, like, for instance, I uh, went on to Amazon, and I was I was interested in getting a pressure cooker. And so now, when well, I go gonna on to... are going to get pressure cooker ads. Right. Now, I, I look at uh, different, you know, websites that I like, Salon or Boing Boing, and I'll see in the corner, boop, up comes an ad for a pressure cooker. Funny. How did they know that? <laughs> yeah, well, funny. How did they know that? Why are you going to buy two if you've already bought yeah, one? Too bad we can't tell them. Look, we're not interested in this anymore. Right. We you want can't. To actually, this is the early. You days. have to make the. This effort. is the early days. It's going to get better. Why? Because they want to sell you stuff, and the better it is, the better they will sell you stuff. I the, at the end of the 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 continuum at the end of the next century, there will only be two products: Pepsi and Coke. Right. Yep. <laughs> all all and, restaurants will be Taco Bell. And yes. what you're going to be doing in your life exactly. is. The 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 more wealth, the more wealth you have, the less advertising you have to put up with, and so the richer you are, you know, the less ads and stuff you have to pay eyeball time to, and so if you're really poor, you will die and you will be poured into a coffin that will be covered with with corporate advertising. <laughs> You know, like a racing car. Exactly. Oh, this this coffin brought to you by PepsiCo and it's five billion other. Uh, and by the way, Pepsi is not a sponsor of this program and no offense to the Pepsi people. Uh, but, but essentially, uh, our awareness, what time we spend doing what, is now going to be measured quantitatively. quantitatively. 
our iPhones are going to be connecting to our avatars, our, so, our, our cloud lives. Uh, our smartphones are going to be talking back and forth where we're going, what we're doing, and this is all going to be quantifiable. Well, now, now, this ties what? back into um, uh, what, goes, what's been, what, what goes on in Brass Jack's universe. Uh, uh, in the opening chapter, uh, you, descri you describe the fact that he's used to having this sea of information on tap all the time, feeding directly into his brain, Right, wherever he goes, and on this on this uh, world of Lembob, he doesn't have that. Right, and when he gets a little bit of information, if anything crops up at all, it's it's noteworthy. Right, just even a tiny bit. Well, and the point I was trying to uh, uh, get to was uh, that. Oh gosh. You know what? It's completely left my head. I think the point point you're going to make is, uh, in the case of Jack, uh, he makes the wrong assumption and it almost kills him. Because he was not raised for, and designed for a normal environment. And so something like a flash flood mm -hmm. is not something he has any awareness. His computer isn't set up to recognize that. It wasn't set... Because, hey, he grew up in an orbital colony. And the in his case, in when he was back at Highgate... Not only did he have a daemon continually looking for stuff, but even before he got to oh, the point I where he was going to ask was. a question, it was already giving him the answer. Go ahead. I remember what it was. Uh, we have uh, the artificial intelligences are getting more and more sophisticated, mm -hmm. and they're functioning more and more autonomously. Uh, at a certain point, I mean, it, it's, uh, it's conceivable that your AI could be running around doing the things that you do, and you're dead. Yeah. And it might be a long time before the system knows that. Right, I'm, that's a creepy thought. Kind of, well, actually, in so, this oh, case... So you could actually have a, a... Well, back on Facebook, I still get, you know, why don't you have a, you know, why don't you send a message to Colfina? I'm going, I wish I could. Well, the, the, <laughs> She's been dead for, you know, over a year uh, now, and I miss her. In, in, the, in the novel, Jack actually is in love with his wife, who is an AI. She has no physical body other than that of being a starship. Well, and she was a person. Yes. She was a person, but uh, one of the, because they're a colony of artists, uh, scientific artists, more or less, they have an ability to create actual, true artificial intelligences that don't go crazy. Hmm. And that's a gift in the Empire that they haven't been able to replicate. This is something these guys can do. Um, but in the case of uh, his, as a writer, it was interesting for me, how do I, if Jack's a normal human being, how do you love somebody who doesn't actually physically exist? Well, when he jacks into her virtual reality, his entire body is wired with, with quantum technology. She literally can feel everything that he feels. And so if she wants him to feel a coffee cup in his hand, she sends him that sensory information. He knows no different. Mm. That and, actually kind of and, and so when he is with her, it's like he's with um, a real woman. In the case of her, she's unique in the fact that she was based on somebody who had died and had donated her brain tapes. And they created a personality using this young woman's brain tapes to, as a starter culture mm -hmm. to build the new person, the artificial mm -hmm. intelligence. And uh, another thing in, in Highgate tradition, they, uh, they have what they call gamblies. Um, it's not just one man married to a woman. It's one man married to a woman who's an AI, who's, who's also in a relationship with three or four aliens, who's also in a relationship with a cat, who's also in a relationship with, well, not sexual, as far as she's concerned, and, you know, uh, in, in a relationship with six or seven different people. Why? She's an AI. She's multi. She's multi-processing, multitasking. For her, she can live entire centuries in a couple of minutes, because that's how fast she's processing. And so the whole concept of relationship is, is it's it's kind of like um, I think we saw it in Babylon Five a little bit, um, kind of the the multi multi families. Uh, also, what was the other series that had? Uh, multiple oh uh, Vlox on Star Trek uh, yeah. the the doctor 
He had, like, seven wives. He had, like, yeah. Uh, it was and an extended family. It was an extended home. family. Who but, knows how many of them it took to actually make a child. But the thing is, is once we get past the, you know, okay, if I have a clone, is my clone going to be in this relationship? Where, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. That could get a little... Exactly. Yeah, it gets, uh, science fiction is, is going to take us into boundaries that, that eventually mankind is going to be facing. If you read comic books, and I know you do, Gene, uh, uh, I still think one of the primary, one of the best abilities of all the abilities in the Marvel Universe is Jamie Madrox, uh, a.k.a. Multiple Man, um, because he has the ability to create multiple copies of himself with a little bit of kinetic energy. You know, he smacks his fist and boom, he's got a copy and a copy and a copy and a copy, and he can multitask, and each one of those copies of him can make a copy. And he can get out to like 50 copies of him, go out, do something, and then come back, and all that information is coalesced into one person. Ah! Great life if you don't go mad. Well, yeah, but I I mean, you, clean the bathroom. You, do the laundry. You, respond back to mom. (laughs) You can do so much! I know we're talking about science fiction here, but just for a moment there, I had a fantasy. Yeah, uh, (laughs) the... Okay, go yeah, wash your mind out with soap. I'm talking about somebody to clean my bedroom and my kitchen. What? Get your mind out of the gutter. It could be quite a Valentine's Day. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, one of the most common phrases that uh, has passed from my lips in recent decades is, time is my enemy. And uh, I, I would certainly love having that particular ability to be able to to gather, have all those ex- uh, concurrent experiences and then coalesce and and uh, be one whole person at the end of it. You know, yeah. Every day. And so... To be able to do that would be amazing. In, in my novel, um, the, the AI named Alice has a lot of things going on in her back history. For instance, she was married to Jack and there was loss in the family and there was... I try... One of the things that people have said to me about the book is that the characters feel very, very three-dimensional. And are, are, yeah. and part of the reason that is is because as a newbie author, I didn't know no better. And so I based a lot of my characters on my friends and didn't change the names too much on some of them. <laughs> and w- that's really great. But what I realized as I started writing it, because, you know, I sat down and I said, I'm going to write a book. I didn't know it was going to be a trilogy, but I'm going to write a book. And when I wrote that book, I realized at a certain point, hey, as an author, you need to do evil things to your characters. Well, a- apart from doing evil things to them, you sometimes need those characters to do things to advance the plot. Exactly. In ways that make sense... For that character, and if you use characters who are based uh, on your friends, yeah, people that you know, right, they may not necessarily flex in the direction you need them to and do it believably. Right, and so for all you beginning writers out there, don't use their your friends' names too closely, and and tell them they can inspire a character, but they are not the character because when you have to take that character and shove them in the wood chipper. Um, yeah. They're not going to love you. You know what? David Weber fans glory in it. Right. Well, and, oh, I got killed really right. well. And I, now I've gone online to Facebook and told my friends, I'm sorry, you know, your character, you know. And some of my friends go, really? True? You killed me with rabid radioactive chipmunks or what have you? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then other of my friends are going, yes, I got killed by radioactive yeah. rabid chipmunks. Woohoo! I, I, I'm very fortunate that um, I, I have a close group of friends who I, I've already told them there'll be characters in, in one of my novels. And they they are like me in that when we write, we enjoy doing horrible things to our characters. So when I tell, yeah, yours might die, could be creatively, or just, you know, great tragic loss and your character will suffer for years and years, they, they go, <laughs> you know. I have, but there's always, you know, there's always that danger. You never know how the person's going to react. I have, a, I have a rule, you know, feel free to use me as a character in your novels, but uh, just like in real life, I don't want to end up with the clown nose. I have this theory that when you die, if you die of doing something really stupid, you end up in heaven, and they ask you how you died. Uh, how'd you die? Well, uh, I slipped on a banana peel, and I ended up uh, drowning in a toilet with my butt in the air. <laughs> C- 
clown nose, go stand over there. Okay, Elvis. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how did you How did you die? I was uh, changing a light bulb while standing in a bucket of water. Yeah, big red floppy feet over there. So, you know, if you want to put me in your book, fine. Just don't give me a clown nose ending. That's all I ask. <laughs> but uh, the thing uh, I noticed really quickly is I'm blessed with a lot of an incredible amount of really interesting, wonderful, eccentric people in my life. People who are so incredibly talented. And, you know, in gaming, you would build characters. And I would look at my friends in the room and I would go, oh my God, I'm surrounded by characters who are worth, you know, they would say a, a, a normal human being is 100 points. And I was surrounded by 300 point human beings. You know? That is a very, very high praise. And well, yeah. and, But the thing is, is I have friends who literally could restart civilization from the ground up. Uh, between all my SCA and reenactor friends, between my friends who are, are chemists and scientists and geneticists, my friends who are geeks of every stretch, I have friends who can literally, you know, uh, do surgery, right, and then get onto the battlefield, shoot well and kill their enemies, and then string a bow and make the string by hand, uh, make mead by hand, make armor by hand, make fireworks, you know. I could make a radio from uh, exactly. wire and a quartz crystal. Coconuts just, and, just, just and, a, and a part of the SS Minute. Uh, these are the ones who will survive the apocalypse. Right. Just to brag on Gene a little bit, just if I were just to look at him, he's, he's a very talented artist. He's uh, incredibly tech-savvy. He's a great promoter of, uh, you know, his, his radio station. This is all his. So there's definitely points in entrepreneurship. And he's, he's a, a, a talented and loving dad. I mean, just all those different things, if you were to put him in, in, into game mechanics, you know, and plus, you know, he's probably a, you know, a, a professional race car driver. He's an instrumentalist. I don't know about the professional race car driver, but he has a hell of a commute. <laughs> but, I wish I did. I don't know. Give him a couple of books and an hour to study. But my, my, my point is, is that when I wrote my book, it was hard not to look around as a beginning writer and say, oh, like uh, I have a character who made a living for a while as a professional thug, right? And... He is one of the the most low key, gentle uh, people on the universe in the universe. But Lord help you, should you push the wrong button? Well, thugs usually are though. Yeah, yeah. they don't have to <laughs> advertise. Right, and so uh, most when I wrote the book, most of the really villainous villains are not based on my friends because I don't know many people like that. Well, it's one of the. One of the things I think about when I, I mean, I've got a few ideas floating around in my head, too, and my, my shame is that I have not written them down. Uh, but uh, I, I hope to fix that shortly. Get yourself <laughs> a notepad, man! But, uh, uh, in between curing cancer and writing an award-winning <laughs> winning movie yeah. and, and solving the crisis building his mad science lab. <laughs> yeah, Everybody needs one of those. Yeah, I, and, and cookies. We can, show, we can show you the okay. mad science lab later. Uh, but the... Uh, one of the things that strikes me about uh, using people that you know is that they are shaped by uh, they are shaped and this gets back to the the discussion we were having about the AI that knows everything you know and acts like you act uh, with respect to gathering information and that's it, sure. you don't have a public face it has your public face uh, but um, uh, the people that you know are shaped by their individual experiences which have nothing to do with the story you're writing. Mm -hmm. So uh, very frequently, if you go into too much detail on what kind of a person that is, and you try to use them in your story, uh, it'll be a bad fit. On the other hand, and I agree with you, uh, on the other hand, because so many of my friends are uh, creative role players, uh -huh. it's not hard to imagine, for instance, Selene owning a... Uh, a, a small um, fancy restaurant on a distant planet somewhere and also being a secret agent on the side. You know, it's because... Everybody's got to eat. Because right. <laughs> <laughs> I know her for the clever person she is. And, and one of the other characters, uh, you know, they call her the Spider Queen. 
Um, but she's uh, she has this lovely kind of snarky attitude that just worked perfectly for the character. And so sometimes when you think, I need a character like this person. <laughs> and they just... So you can have that person in your head, but write your character as they need to be. Right. Yeah, but uh, but uh, the, 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 as you as you very pointedly uh, observed, there are times when it doesn't fit, and there are some times when the character uh, does fit far far more than you think, and you go, "Huh, I never thought of it that way." And actually, in a similar vein, because I I know I I do this, you know, I'll, I'll take people I like or people I know or people I see on TV, and I'll start there and then expound into a character that's nothing like them. But as a writer, I also take a lot of my characters and, you know, experience shapes who you are. Some of my experiences shape them, so there's definitely some self-insertion in there, um, maybe a little Mary Sue, as the fandom community calls it. Do you, do you feel that in this trilogy there's any self-insertion for you? Yes. Um, I, I actually had somebody bust my chops about it being a Mary Sue epic. Um, Yes and no. In 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 a way, I'm kind of both the the. I have two lead characters, um, Gwen slash Tian and Brass Jack, and so in terms of Brass Jack kind of being this guy who's been been it all, done it all, seen it all, you know, kind of a grumpy, cynical character in the Robert Heinlein kind of mentality. Kind of a Jubal Harshaw. Yeah, Lazarus Long, that sort of thing. I definitely would say, yeah, that's definitely part of my personality because. I had a really challenging, at times, childhood, went into the Marine Corps, traveled the world. So I have a lot of life experience. And then the noble youth romantic side is definitely uh, Gwen slash Tian. And so I resemble that a little bit, too. But I tried really, really hard not to make the characters um, speak with my voice, but speak with their, their own unique voices. Okay. Well, I mean, not even so much in your voice, but just like, for example, in my novel, one of my characters, his wife dies, and it's a huge personal loss for him. That was influenced very heavily by when I lost my mother at a very young age, and again, huge loss, devastated me personally, and for my character, it, it completely turned his world upside down, just like for me. So it, it, not so much with my voice, but definitely something that you can, like, draw a straight line and relate it to. I think Hemingway and some of the other famous, uh, more classic writers said that you have to live life before you can write about it. And I would say there is some truth to that, and also there's no limit to imagination. But I, I would hope that when people read the stuff that I write, um, there's a reality to it in terms of, you know, I've shot rifles and automatic weapons because I was in the Marine Corps. I've fought with swords and shields, so I have a pretty good idea what it's like to be in that kind of physical combat. You know, um, you know, I've had my shares of bumps and bruises and adventures in life, and hopefully that gives the, the a, a certain reality to the to the to the book. Well, art often reflects life and vice versa. That's how we relate. And the the book has a very strong Celtic influence, and because I've uh, that. I know I do a, a because I'm a traditional Celtic storyteller, I uh, put a lot of Celtic influence, and so a, a lot of people have called the book Celts in Space. And, <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Nothing wrong with that. Yes, good. Yeah. Message approved. So, yes. What so what happens to a Celt in zero gravity? They yell yeehaw and pass the whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> this pleases me. Well, I mean, and the thing is, is if you have a bunch of really scrappy, ornery Celts on a low-tech planet, and you take them into a high-tech environment, do you think they'll they'll you know quiet down and hide meekly? No, you're gonna grab the shiny that's, stuff. That's right. I'm gonna paint my spacesuit with a McLaughlin tartan. <laughs> It's going to be so loud they'll see it three solar systems away. <laughs> That's right. Let's see. I've got oxygen. I've got plasma bowls. And I've got whiskey. We're good to go. <laughs> you know. uh, so, yes, good. Yeah. So I, it, the thing is, is, and again, my love for Celtic cultures and, and some of these other things is in there. One of the things that... Uh, what, that caught my attention immediately as I was reading uh, was that the uh, the voice 
of the narrative changes. It just it jumps back and forth as uh, as Jack's uh, personal experience, you know, his conscious narrative changes. So the story moves along with it, mm -hmm. and uh, you use that as a vehicle to show us uh, Jack's past. Instead of flashbacks, we have recorded experiences that he can re-experience at will in full sensory detail. Exactly, and that's the crappy part, too, because you, you, <laughs> if you screwed up, you can really relive it in full glorious technicolor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those don't-remind-me things, except he can never forget it. Because it's well, you like... remember uh, one of the best uh, science fiction um, movies, uh, I think it was called Brainwave, um, yes, I remember it. Uh, Natalie Wood, I think, was in it, and yes. and one of the things is they basically figure out how to record human thoughts and memories on tape, and so one of the bright people goes off, has a fantastic, wonderful, uh, seductive time, comes back, finds that specific moment on the tape, cuts it into a loop, sticks it back into the recorder, and plugs it into his head, and that's how he chooses to go out, and you see him just sitting there with his goofy grin on his face, going. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, he, he, as I remember, he doesn't die, but it damages. Him. Yeah, it damages him. It da just... Damages him greatly. But you know, if you think about it, we're not that far away from being able to do that here. No, we're not. It's I not mean, they're watching. They're watching uh, thoughts happen well, in in do, real time. We can actually do more than that. We can actually um, we can actually read the visual cortex yeah. and reconstruct the images that the the person is dreaming about right so the 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 old science fiction saw of uh of, oh let's put the let's put the monitor on his head and find out what he sees in his dream we're <laughs> actually able to do that in a limited way now yeah, we can actually see we can actually render uh they're fuzzy images but they're images and they're recognizable really uh, yes and i i would have to Unfortunately, I don't have the information off the top of my head, uh, but I remember reading this article a little while back. We may have done an article on Krypton Radio about it, uh, wow. probably last year. And I think we I'm actually seeing yeah, yeah, some stuff it, about that on Tumblr. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Susan, you were worried about how intrusive they're getting in Facebook. That's nothing compared to what Gene's talking about here. That That I am more worried about is the... Because that's more intensely personal. Is uh, as far as I'm concerned, stay out of my dreams. They're mine and mine alone. Well, uh, as far as the, the the book series Brass Jack, it, there is a potential to have further books written. Book two is uh, just about ready to uh, hit hit the uh, the, photo, uh, the photon emitters. Um, yay! And. Yeah. So um, people will be able to read book two uh, fairly certain, and hopefully book three will be right around the corner after that. I found it. Uh, UC Berkeley scientists, the article was from September 22, 2011. UC Berkeley scientists have developed a system to capture visually, uh, capture your dreams visually, and you can record that. Uh, can you imagine testing that out in the UC Berkeley dorms? Yeah. Oh, God. Berkeley, yeah. Well, imagine. They, they, they use something close to a, a magnetic image, a resonance imaging system. Wow. And uh, they, the subjects were exposed to two different groups of Hollywood movie trailers. Uh, and, and they recorded what the brain's visual cortex, cortices saw. Uh, and they were able to learn more. Com the computer that was scanning them uh, learned more and more about how the visual activity represented on the screen corresponded to the brain activity. And so they were actually able to... They, it has to be done on a per-person basis, but they can individually map how that person's visual cortex responds to visual data, and then they can take that mapping and read what that person is visualizing when they when the person's eyes are closed and that includes dreams it's, and the it's uh the article was I, I i found the article on gizmodo uh and it was uh september 22nd 2011 and the title of the article is scientists reconstruct brains visions into digital video in historic experiment yeah so yes they are they can actually do this now 
it's crude, but it's happening. Wow. And if if we had had a, a working daemon, it would have ran and found that link for you and popped it up for you before you turned <laughs> it on. Yes, exactly. If, if, uh, if I were Brass Jack, I would have that information. That my, well, in a, in a high-tech society, yeah. yeah. Um, but th it, one of my favorite uh, graphic novelists, give a shout-out to Phil Folio, who uh, has a, uh, a lovely... Uh, online uh, comic book uh, series called Girl Genius. Yeah, I've and, heard of Girl and, Genius. And, and, it is. Fantastic. Wonderful. And one of the things that, uh, that I love about his characters, I've seen this in a couple of his different uh, storylines and books, he draws uh, characters that have this little um, like medallion on, uh, on the belt buckle or on their forehead, and it's made out of some sort of emotive metal and so when the, uh, the the smiley face, when the person is snarling angry, the little face on it has a snarling angry face on it too. I've read it and I've noticed and, that. And, and, yeah. yeah, and and you see this. And now I can see where it would be a problem, but for men it would be a panacea. <laughs> because if women wore that and, and, and a woman said, uh, you said, uh, how do you feel about this, dear? And she said, Oh, it's okay. And this, and, and you looked, and the little smiley face was snarly. You knew. You knew. <laughs> You'd be yeah. all right. Right. We're not all like fine. that. Some yeah. of us are. I'm fine. Yes. Very <laughs> but, upfront, and we'll tell you. Yes, and exactly and, and they will not need these emotive medallions. <laughs> if I want you to know my emotions, I'll beat them into. This <laughs> is this at risk because there are three women in the room. Yes. yes. So. When I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. <laughs> now Phil's another one who uses his like friends in his. <laughs> Phil's another one who uh, writes, uh, you know, draws uh, from life. And, uh, and if you've ever met Kaya Folio, you know where he got uh, the girl genius. Yes, uh, the title character. Uh, the title character, as well as a number it's, of, it's, uh, of the others. Romance, adventure, and high explosives. Yes. I, mad, I, I, science. <laughs> mad science. I've heard wonderful things about it. I have not yet started reading it, but I do, mm. I do need to remedy this. There are many people who lost this and recommended it to me. You can read it for free. It's at girlgeniusonline.com. Yeah, just Google Girl Genius and you'll find yeah, it. You'll find it. Yeah, there's, and I, I believe there's actually a Girl Genius book or two or eight. There are eight, a couple of them. Uh, yeah. At the Lost's Library, which I'll have to check out. Yeah, one, they've, one, they've got two books out. They've got um, all the, all of the online comic, the the Hugo Award winning online comic, have been collected into large size paperbacks, and uh, I guess they're up to two uh, novelizations. Mm -hmm. Two novelizations. Well, one day when I'm not busy podcasting or writing for the website or doing that, that really unnecessary thing called real life stuff. Oh, you mean when you're dead? The, well, the great thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the great thing about Girl Genius is that the entire run is online, and you can go to the. Girl Genius Comics Online uh, um, website and start reading from the beginning in full color. He's it's got... not the same experience as you'd get if, if it were printed on paper, but it's all there. And if you want to catch up, you can. His, he also had a, a, a small series uh, called Myth Adventures, which was... <laughs> that was last week. We, we had a long discussion yeah. of that. That was Jody, Jody Lynn Nye, uh, who is the uh, co-author of some of the Robert Asprin books. Uh, and is currently working on the Dragon series. Um, the She's picked book. up the new the Myth Adventures where they left off, and uh -huh. and it's very convincing. You know the, wow. the, the voice. I hasn't think we are coming up on the top of our hour. You know, we, already, we, we already are. It's astonishing, but we well, burned an hour. That doesn't even seem at all fair. No, I didn't have the recount. <laughs> I was I was going to go into you know how. What is Studio Folio doing right? They're putting their whole uh, story on the internet, and yet they're making a living. They're yes, making on the living. books, on the swag, they have extensive merchandise uh, available. And what draws the people back? The immediacy. Yeah. Every yep. time they turn out a new page, they go. Uh, people jump online every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to see the next or the page. Night, nine o'clock the night before. Yes. More like. <laughs> what, it's Thursday. What time is it? Ladies and gentlemen, uh, our guest this evening has been Robert Soyder, author of Brass Jack, Little Lost Princeling from Hunt Press. 
uh, ISBN number 978-0-985-8954-9-5. You can get it on Amazon.com, both as a paperback and uh, as print-on-demand. At as, Lulu. Uh, I'm sorry? You get the paperback at Lulu.com. At Lulu.com. And uh, uh, you can get the uh, Kindle version on uh, Amazon itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, the non-Kindle uh, version will be coming out uh, after a three-month period. Wonderful. Yep. Robert, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being with us. And I would just like to give a shout-out to Krypton Radio and say thank you guys so much for providing a great voice for the geek community. And I know everybody out there knows you and loves you and wants to say thank you for providing this service. See, Gene, you rule. <laughs> thank you. And I haven't read this book yet, but go out and get it because this guy here is freaking awesome. So. <laughs> you have just heard episode two of the Event Horizon on Krypton Radio for February 16th, 2013. Our guest was the author of Brass Jack, Little Lost Princeling, the first in the Brass Jack series of science fiction novels. You have been listening to Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time for a journey into science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. Your hosts have been Krypton Radio General Manager Gene Turnbow and Executive Producer Susan Fox. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The part of the science officer was played by Mark Schurmeister. The part of the engineer was played by Christopher B. McGuire. The navigator was played by Christine Cherry. And the role of the captain was voiced by science fiction writer Larry Niven. Join us next week on Saturday, 9 p.m. Pacific, for the next episode of The Event Horizon, where the impossible happens.